Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Georgia. With me is Greg Velasquez in Iowa. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Thank you for downloading this episode of Scuffed. I'm joined by Matthew Hartman, an old and loyal friend of the podcast. I'm not saying he's an old, he's not an old person necessarily. He's just an old friend of the podcast. Thanks for clarifying that, though. <laughs> Who follows the youth national team player pools as closely as anyone out there. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Bells. How are things in Georgia? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. How's New York? It's, it's good as ever. Can't okay. complain. Good. So the U, the reason we're talking is the U-20s are convening next week for a tournament in Mexico called the Revelations Cup. They'll play Brazil, Mexico, and Colombia's U-20 teams. They still don't officially have a coach, and we're going to get into the actual roster. A version has been leaked on <laughs> Malik Sonogo's Instagram. First, let's go kind of big picture because you're, you know, you're a no-nonsense guy, you know? You okay. You're not going to say things are good when they're not good. So what's the, the basic question is how good is the pipeline right now? And how good are these age groups? And what will that mean for the national team long-term? Um, the U-17s appear to be quite good, but they are still children, right? So right. Um, can't, I really don't like to like guess that far out, especially since, you know, like we haven't really seen any of them against international competition. The U-20s um, are a bit harder to, it's a bit harder to to say that they're in a, in a great place. The 2003s will make up a bulk of the U-20 roster and yeah. they're pretty good. You know, we've been saying for a little while that the O-3s are one of the better groups we've ever produced. And you could argue that, you can argue that there's a, a lack of top end talent after Pepe, but I think we have enough lottery tickets that some will pan out and hit national team level inevitably. Um, the U the O fours aren't as good, especially the domestic class. I think the top O fours are mostly the kids that are in Europe right now, and I'd say among the domestic class, or if I had to guess, I'd say that we're currently looking at around like a mid nineties level of U S men's national team impact. And if, if we lose a couple of recruiting battles, the wheels could come completely, completely off of the class. That's the 2004 birth year. Yes. Is what you're talking about. Yeah. What happened? Why is that? Why is that? I mean, there's, there's sort of just random variants, right? But what's, what's going on? Right. So COVID really hurt the O4s and O5s. And um, the, like the O4s weren't a particularly good class pre-COVID. And then the majority of the country went and went on to barely play soccer for like eight to 10 months. So mm -hmm. like for O4s and O5s, you know, like that's when they're 15 and 16. That's, you know, like the vital age range for, for these kids. So if we, if like we look at particular, uh, you know, case studies, Kansas City, Sporting Kansas City, had some like some of the best O4s and O5s in the country. I'm thinking of kids like Natty Clark and Gage Akalu and uh, Osvaldo Cineros. And Kansas City played a single digit number of games, of competitive games, you know, against other MLS academies during, you know, the COVID period. So let's say like between when the DA got shut down and um, the end of 2020, like they barely played soccer. 
So of those kids, like those three, three or four top talents that they had, like two of the of the four are nowhere near the level that they were at, you know, at this time two years ago. Mm-hmm. One of them doesn't play soccer anymore, <laughs> and then you know the one that's left, Osvaldo Cineros, is a is a good little player, but he has a lot of work to do to get to national team level, and that's that sort of uh, thing is pretty common across the 04 classes in particular across MLS. So the Red Bulls 04 team, which at one point was one of the top three teams in the country, basically completely imploded um, their, that defensive group um, are all going to college. Their top midfielder was Kenan Hot, who is currently playing with Hartford athletic um, and is no longer associated with New York Red Bull uh, Yaya Torre is now somewhere in the Rapids system. They called on Timotore Yaya. Yeah, they, that's his. That's his nickname. That he it is seems a little inc- presumptuous. Yes, he is in- increasingly not um, deserving of that nickname. But playing for the Colorado, uh, I mean the Switchbacks. The Switchbacks. I think I haven't. I, I don't even think he's playing for them all too regularly. So. Um, and then, you know, you talked a little bit about it with Buzz when you had him on the podcast, but the Dallas 04 has basically hit a developmental brick wall. You know, like outside of um, Antonio Carrera, I don't think any of those kids are going to get a homegrown contract. Same thing, you could say the same thing with a lot of the Midwest teams who in particular, you know, not that Dallas is in the Midwest. I know that you're super particular about your geography bells. <laughs> But, it's definitely not in the Midwest. <laughs> okay, okay. But, uh, you know, Sporting Kansas City is, right? And yes. Chicago and uh, Columbus, they all had their 04 classes basically disintegrate in front of them. And even the teams that were able to play a good amount of soccer, like Philadelphia and NYCFC, almost all of those kids are going to college. You know, you have a couple of homegrowns in Philly, but, you know, across the country, basically, the 04 class isn't um, what it should be if you're working under the like the theory that the youth national teams and MLS and American soccer are on on a upward developmental trajectory. Yeah, if you want to live in a constant state of increasing hype, which I do, you know, right. that's what I wanted. That's what I want. Then then the 04 the 04 class isn't going to help you, I guess. Huh? Well, so it sounds like it wasn't that good of a class to begin with. And then COVID really like screwed it up for a lot of like like Kenan Hot was a considered a blue chip prospect right when he was fifteen or something and now he's going to Duke is that right? Yeah, that's that's the plan for him right now. I think that he is trialing in Europe. Um, he has even he was trialing in Europe even when he was with the Red Bulls, but he's not with the Red Bulls because you know the 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 Hots and Red Bull had a little bit of a falling out and. Um, I mean, that that exists all over the country. And it's not just the 04s, it's the 05s as well, you know, because there were there there was a lot of movement because kids that were, you know, 16, 15, 16 were just trying to find games like mm-hmm. um, ki- a kid left the sporting Kansas, one of the better sporting Kansas City. Uh, I, I don't recall if he's a 04 or 05 left that academy and went to Philly or yeah, went to Philly just because they were playing soccer, you know. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff like that. A lot of parents that weren't happy with the way that not only COVID affected stuff, but the closing of the DA affected stuff. 
And now the O4s are stuck in this like sort of twilight zone between U17 ball where they're not really allowed. I mean, they're technically they could technically play U17 ball with bio banding, but most of the use like U17 ball across the country now is mostly O6s. So O4s aren't it doesn't serve them a whole lot of good to be playing that. And the U19 MLS next is a disaster. Half of the half of the MLS teams don't even have U19 teams. The ones that don't largely have U23 teams, and since the MLS U23 team hasn't started off yet, hasn't started yet, those U23 teams are basically like nomads roaming the country trying to find whatever game, competitive game they can find. So these the O4s, like you know, they they just don't really have a place to play right now, which also hurts stuff. Yeah, that's a bummer. So the so the the end of the development academy and the beginning of MLS Next has not gone super well. I'm gathering. No, definitely a bumpy start. Um, in a number of ways. <laughs> I mean, that can, we could talk a whole lot about that if you'd like. But can you can not. you give us? I mean, I I didn't I didn't warn you that I was going to ask you this question, but can you give us like the high level bullet points on what on that? Because I think a lot of people would be interested. Sure. So. Um, the scheduling, um, that was centralized in the DA suddenly became, became, um, you know, like you find your own games, um, which especially for, for the smaller teams that don't necessarily have teams that are, um, you know, lining up to play them led to some challenges and then, um, you you completely lost centralized uh recording of games and stat keeping for example so uh teams couldn't prepare for other teams every team was basically like you were you were going in blind to to like tactically to what was going on the only thing that had to be reported was the score so teams didn't know who other teams best players were why why did why why did we do this you know i haven't paid a ton of attention to it because there's been so much going on with the senior team right but like why why did what's going on why Why yeah i mean like the basic uh excuse that i've been given is that the you know like u.s soccer was spending millions of dollars a year on the development academy infrastructure um and you know things aren't great economically and over in sac- soccer house right now. And they gave nobody any heads up that they were going to close the DA when it happened. So there was no second, like, you know, MLS next is in a much better place now than it was this time last year, but had That's good to hear. Yeah. But had had us soccer given MLS or, you know, the teams a heads up as to what was happening we would have been in a much better place to start off with. So like there are more teams, more like solid teams in MLS next now than there were originally. There are also some teams that I would argue shouldn't be in MLS next because they're just not good enough and wouldn't have been in the DA, but you know, like it's a completely different group of people running things, the DA closing and there not being an immediate alternative led to the complete like fracturing of entire regions so you look at loss like the Southern California region right now, right? You'll be you might be familiar with like teams like Pariadores, who yeah. were like a, a, a annual great team. You know, every year they'd put they had a great team that they put together. 
Patty Adores said, you know, um, we're not wait like we can't wait to to see, you know, like our parents want to know what team, what league we're going to play in. They jumped ship to ECNL. A number of Southern Californian uh, teams jumped ship to ECNL. And now you have like of the whatever, say like U17, right? Of the top 15 U17 teams in Cal- in Southern California, like five of them are playing in three different leagues, you know, between like USYS and ECNL and MLS Next. So you have like the best teams in a region not playing each other because they're not in the same league. Mm. I'm sure there's a lot that goes into a decision like that, but it doesn't seem doesn't seem good. Like, cause, cause you know, a lot of the players that we have talked about over the years, like let's, let's, I mean, he didn't, he hasn't really panned out yet and may never, but like Sebastian Soto, right. Mm-hmm. He's playing for like San Diego surf, one of those clubs in the right. DA and then gets, um, you know, recruited by RSL because they played against him and he was good. Right. Yep. Exactly. I, I don't know why we would want to, I don't know what happened with San Diego surf. Are they in the ECNL or yeah, they're in the ECNL. Okay. So I don't so, know why we would, why would we, I don't know why we would do all that just so we could have an MLS youth league. I mean, I don't really think that anybody's to blame here, but us soccer, I think that the finance, like I, you know, we're like unaware of how bad things like the finances were and maybe they were so bad that they needed to like, you know, just cut anywhere they could get rid of everybody immediately who knew anything like, <laughs> like if I were undertaking such like, you know, such a transition as that, I would want like a, t- like a transition team in place and stuff like that. Like all of the DA people basically disappeared all overnight. Crazy. People that were answered emails and then the next day they didn't answer emails anymore because they no longer worked for U.S. soccer. So it's worth paying attention to and keeping an eye on because that's um, this is an important part of like having a good national team is having a coherent youth system. You know, I struggle, you know, I was, we were talking on in a group chat the other day about, about this. And you said like, definitely the O fours aren't very good. And I was like, well, how do we know? How can we know that a birth year isn't as good when those players are all like 16, 17 right now? Um, Sure. Can you answer that question? Yeah. Completely valid question. And the answer is, especially for the O4s, is that they've been surpassed by younger players for important minutes at, at the key clubs, right? So the key clubs, in my mind, being like the, the, the clubs that actually pump out homegrowns on a fairly regular basis. Um, so if you look at those so teams... Be like Dallas, Philly. Exactly. So that's And maybe New York Red Bulls. Right. So at, over in Dallas... Um, you know, none of those, none of the O4s are playing for their U17s, right? And then the next, the O9, the the U19s exist, right? But it's not a good level. So you'd want those kids to be at North Texas. Uh, there were zero North Texas minutes given to O4s this year in Dallas. There were more minutes given to O5s and O6s. I mean, not by a lot, but they're, they're Dallas is next good prospects are O5s and O6s. There won't be O4s getting minute regular minutes at North Texas going forward with the except possible exception of Antonio Carrera and maybe uh, Jesus Ferreira's younger brother. Right, but I I would expect at least, you know, Ferreira to go to college and 
Which, like, if you take that example, that doesn't have to be a calamity as long as the 05s and the 06s are really good or, you know, back to the, the level that we've come to expect from Dallas, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, none of this is, is calamitous, right, because of how young the senior team is. But um, it's definitely shows that, expect, like, it, the way that we are set up right now as a as a country producing soccer players is that you basically have to we could only count on like four or five um clubs to produce players right and if those clubs have bad years it's going to be a bad birth year so it wasn't just dallas with the o fours um you're we're going to get like one more homegrown maybe from the remaining union o fours and o fives the new york teams both of them are going to send what looks like their entire 04 and 05 classes to college, uh, barring like, you know, some kid raising his level out of nowhere. And both of those teams, both of those New York teams have signed players younger than 04 to homegrown contracts. Uh, Chris McFarland is an 07 who signed with NYCFC and Ben Estrella is an 06. So um, basically all of the major teams that produce players in the United States, they're done with their O4s. Like it, barring a, you know, like a late bloomer, which which happens, like, you know, kids, a bunch of these kids, I'm sure, will go to college and play well in college. And then they'll there are some of them will be in the running for homegrown contracts. But those late bloomers are kind of hard to like, you know, predict and count on. So like the thing that as primarily like a U.S. men's national team fan who wants guys like Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, like, the, you know, these superstar guys, mm -hmm. the, we're, we're unlikely to get any of those um, from the 04s and 05s, like barring the ones that we'll talk a little about a, li a little about today. But in just overall numbers, like the number of blue chips that you have in your pocket, the numbers for 04s and 05 are going to be lower than they were for 99 through 03. Yeah. Okay. And also, okay, so that's a word of caution um that like, you know, I I think you told me that you cringed when you heard our answer on the TSS crossover about <laughs> like, well, is this a golden generation or is it a, um, you know, is, is it a one-off the, mm -hmm. you know, all the young talent we have with the senior national team. So maybe if you could tell us what, what specifically made you cringe and then, <laughs> um, and then, and then we'll move on. Sure. So it's, I kind of, I kind of hate the, um, golden generation versus you know continual progress thing topic to begin with because like both of them can be true right like U.S. soccer is and U.S. youth soccer is definitely getting better right like the, it, it, I can't make an argument that youth development in the country right now isn't considerably better than it was in 2015 and that 2015 wasn't considerably better than it was in 2010 and stuff like that. The thing that we have to like that I want to avoid is not addressing the problems that exist because we take for granted that that progress is happening, right? So the O4s are not better 
than the than the 2002s or the 2001s or the 2000s or the 1999s and that's something that we should look at and say that you know why why did this happen how like how could we stop it from happening in the in the future because we're we're in a really lucky place right now right that we're our national team is so young that we don't have to look at we can look at the 04s and 05s and say you know if we get like two players at each of those years like we're solid right yeah, will be good, but it's like a really short term way of think, thinking about things, right? Because eventually, Gio Reyna will be thirty two, right? And then the one the guys who you're who are making up the core of the team will have to be O threes and O fours, um, and if that doesn't happen, then you're counting on guys that are younger than that. You want like an abundance of of options in every year, right? You want yeah. every single year to be, if not progressing, they like on par with each other. And and it's not like there aren't reasons why this happened, right? Or the reasons why this happened are mysteries to us. COVID, as we said, played a massive part. But I, when, you know, we, we say things like the points that you guys had talked about as to why this, why we can't look at um, like whatever 1997 through 2002 as a golden generation, it's like, well, I mean, compared to the next oldest players that we have, that we can realistically predict what they are going to be, which is, you know, the 04s and 05s, like they are kind of a golden generation because the 2003s and the 2001 U20, like, well, you know, the 2003s, if, if, you, if you gave every birth here their own national team, right? and played the, were able to play them against each other when they were all 17 the teams from the early 2000s would wipe the floor with the 04s and they would probably do so with the 05s though it's like too early to tell right and that's kind of what i'm getting at when i said like i just i i'm just kind of against <laughs> I, I i can't take um like the overwhelming positivity that that you guys that you know come naturally to people like Joe Lowry and Taylor Rockwell. Rockwell, that you know, I'm I'm a pessimist by nature about these things. I guess that's why we love you, Matt. Um, all right, so this this team. Another reason maybe for negativity is this this team doesn't have a coach yet, and I know everybody likes to beat up on the federation. I'm talking about the U20 team, sure. And that is, and just so everybody's clear, that's that's the O3 birth year is the cutoff. So if you're born on January first of 2003 or later you can be on this u20 team because that's when the next u20 world cup is 2023 um that team does not have a coach and they play brazil on when on wednesday yeah <laughs> so i know everybody, everybody <laughs> likes to beat up on the federation and i don't want to be gratuitous about it but like come on guys we let's get a coach hired what's the latest on the coach situation I I just can't get over how ridiculous that is, right? Isn't that so crazy that we're going to put a team? We have a team that largely hasn't played together at all without a coach that is going to play against the Brazil U20s in like five days or whatever. Yeah. They'll get what, like two trainings together at, at best? I mean, assuming no. we get a, get a coach on, on the weekend. I, I mean, a large portion of the roster is flying out on Monday morning, so I don't think that they're going to get two training sessions together. Anyways, 
<laughs> the coaching situation is that um, Lucha Gonzalez is slash was the Federation's first choice. Um, that was the first phone call that was made. That was the first interview that took place. But the fact that two members of his former coaching staff have also interviewed, that being Peter Lucian and Mikey Vargas, probably means that there are issues with Lucci. Um, I would imagine that those those issues stem from the fact that Lucci would prefer to have an MLS job if possible. Right. So, or, you know, it might be money. It might be moving to Chicago. Who knows? Um, but there's something there. Great city. Chicago's a great city, by the way. Um, I bet it is. <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, not, nobody ever goes there, right? So anyways, yeah. Larry Sunderland uh, has also interviewed. He was the um, head of the player development or some equivalent title to that in Portland. And he is now the Cincinnati uh, FC Cincinnati head of player development. Um, he led a large portion of this group. Of, I mean, most of the O4s that will be on this roster and in this cycle as a whole, as a spot coach in that U16 tournament that happened in Europe pre-COVID. Um, so he's probably, I would imagine, the backup option. I wouldn't be thrilled <laughs> about that because head of player development in Portland and Cincy, two teams who are basically bottom of the barrel youth development sides, I think we yeah. could do a little better so um i'm hoping for one of the dallas guys um and we'll see i think it uh brian shredder reported that he believed mikey vargas was the favorite i believe it i believe it's var it's, it's, there's no g in there it's varus oh varus Varus. no that's okay um yeah i heard that too i heard i, I heard he was close but you know don't right. take that to the bank um sure I know nothing about Mikey Varis. I know he was like, I think he was one of Lucci's assistant coaches. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. He used to so. coach at the Sacramento Republic. Uh, I think his parents are Chilean. He does speak Spanish fluently, which is a plus. Um, yeah. So let's get, let's get into the roster a little bit. Why don't I read off the names? This is the leaked roster that came out on uh, Sonogo's Instagram. Right. We've got, uh, Paxton Aronson uh, as a midfielder. I'm just going to go down alphabetically. Uh, Alexander Borto as a goalkeeper. Justin Che as a defender. I mean, he's, he could be either a center back or a right back, maybe a right back for this group. Caden Clark, uh, the New York Red Bulls attacking midfielder. Cade Cowell, forward at San Jose. Maybe, maybe a future right back. We'll see. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Daniel Edelman, uh, midfielder at the Red Bulls, uh, Red Bulls 2, playing in USL. Jeremy Garay, uh, another midfielder. He plays for DC United in their, I don't think, like in their academy, right? And uh, uh, He plays for, what do you call it? Um, Loudoun United. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then Jacob Green is a left back. Isn't that correct? Yep. For, I mean, he could play. he plays on both sides, but I think he's okay. a left back long term. Brian Gutierrez is listed as a forward for, uh, he plays for the Chicago Friar. He's gotten some MLS minutes. Kobe Henry, a big center back for Orange County SC. Daniel Leva, uh, not getting a ton of minutes, but he is a Seattle Sounders player and a midfielder. Diego Luna, uh, kind of a winger, attacker, attacking midfielder for the El Paso Locomotive. 
Jack McGlynn, a left-footed central midfielder for the Philadelphia Union. Long Island zone. Nice. Nice. Caden Pierre uh, plays, does he play left back or right back for Sporting KC? He's a right back. Okay, right back. And then Rokas Pukstis. Is that how you say that? Pukstis? Uh, I I said Pukstas, but I haven't heard his name said out loud in years. Okay. So he's at Hajduk Split. That's in Croatia. Okay. He's from Oklahoma. A lot of people are ex- have been excited about this player. We, I, we'll talk about him in a yep. minute. Maceo Rodriguez, uh, forward uh, for the Chicago Fire Academy, I believe. And Malik Sanogo, uh, Berlin, Germany, FC Union Berlin, forward. He plays for the U19s at the moment. Uh, Dante Seeley, uh, winger slash forward, came up in the FC Dallas Academy. He's on loan at PSV Eindhoven and tearing it up for young PSV. Uh, Gabriel Slanina. It goes by Gaga, is a six-four goalkeeper for the Chicago Fire, and a you know kind of a big prospect. Quinn Sullivan is listed as a forward. He's kind of a midfielder slash forward for the Philadelphia Union. Has a younger brother named Kevin, who's uh, whose hype video on YouTube is an amazing thing to watch. And then uh, Casey Walls is a center back. He is a San Jose Earthquakes player, but he plays for Austin Bold right now on loan. And then Caleb Wiley, is is he a right back or a left back? He's Atlanta United too. He's a left right? back. Left back, okay. So that's the roster. And I guess my, my, my first blush uh, reaction to it is that's a nice front five. You know, if you had a, a front five of Seeley, Cowell, Clark, Paxson Aronson, I don't know, throw McGlynn in there somewhere. That's a that's a formidable front five, right? Yeah, it's not it's not a bad front five. I would maybe question how well a front five how well of a, a front five it would be with those particular players working together. But I mean, it's a it's a that's five pretty good prospects. So I guess the problem is Cowell Cowell isn't a sort of traditional number nine, right? Yeah, I mean Cowell isn't a traditional number nine. I think that. He may even end up playing on the wing, you know, in these games as he does uh, fairly often for his club team. And then McGlynn is probably going to be, you know, like one of those guys who just solves problems and causes problems in any lineup he's in. So um, solves problems in possession, causes problems out of possession. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we have some we have some precedent for that in the (laughs) national team. So let's start. Let's start at the top with the strikers. Um, Sonogo. He's left-footed. He's big. He's fast. He likes to run in behind. I, I, from what I could tell, looking at his clips, I could not tell how good his hold-up play was, or how generally how good he is in general. But I'm, I'm glad he accepted the call-up. What do you, what do you have on him? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how good he is either, and I'm kind of skeptical of anybody that says that they do. Um, he he dominated the U17 Bundesliga Northeast um last season which is the weakest of the three Bundesliga youth leagues so um there is that to keep in mind because his numbers were last season at least were kind of extraordinary um he's a regular German youth call up extremely comfortable in and in and around the penalty box and I love that he's not afraid to let the ball run across his body he's He's um he's just one of those like cultured 
um, strikers in the box, right? Like he just does things that as somebody who watches a lot of youth soccer games, um, you know, a lot of youth number nines just don't think to do. Um, mm. But I am a bit skeptical of him as a top tier prospect because like, as you, as you mentioned, he's an extremely physical player, not particularly good at at connecting play. I know like you questioned his, you don't know how good his hold up play is. I would say not all that great. <laughs> he has yeah. a couple like he he managed like five assists in his last full season, but if you actually go like and watch the tape, most of those assists were like the ball clanging off of him in one way or another and just <laughs> the teammate finishing the chance yeah. from there. So um, I mean, yeah. it is youth. It is youth soccer. After all, even if it's in Germany, right. it's youth soccer. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely true. So, as a veteran of watching a lot of Freiburg U nineteen games, I oh man, I, I remember those days. Here. Yeah, jeez, it was just like a, it was just a bunch of like you know hype hyped up German kids running around, and then Alex Mendes like <laughs> kind of in the in the eye of the storm, right? You know? Just like kids like flying off each other, you know, and then he would um, play a nice pass to the wing or like hit a banger from 25 yards. Yeah. Yeah. So Sonongo. um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, like some players that play like he does, you know, like that big physical style, like are able to, you know, maintain that level, that like physical presence into the pro game. But most don't. And you know, even if even if he does manage to hit, I would kind of question how how big he is going to be able to hit because he just doesn't do. From what I you know, the tape that I've seen, he, he's not doing a whole lot of soccer stuff correctly, you know, like at a high level, I should say. OK. Well, let's talk about Cowell then, Cade Cowell. Um, you, you start. Sure. So, I mean, pretty obvious if you watch even like a minute of Cade Cowell that he's a dynamic athlete um definitely like you know a home run player able to like you know just take take the ball and like he did this past weekend right was it this past weekend or was it midweek where he just Uh, ran the length of the field and put the ball in the back of the net that was a beautiful goal i i think there could be some questions asked to the defending but 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 yeah he 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 carried the ball 40 yards in a straight line and then he just did like two quick touches to split two defenders and then outside of the right boot, put it in the far corner. Yes. And I, gorgeous, I you know, gorgeous goal. Gorgeous absolutely. Goal. And I, I remember saying, you know, like Cal was a player that we had been, we, we've talked about for years, right? Like on those U 17 podcasts that some OG scuffed fans will remember um, that he's, he's just great. As long as he gets to play in straight lines, he always has been. Um, and that's still mostly true. Right. So um, he's probably a like Jordan Morris style wide forward long term um but questions to be asked as to it like in a team where he's probably going to have more responsibility than he has at san jose if he's going to be able to you know be more than just that that home run he gets the ball with space in front of him and is able to make uh you know make turn it into a chance type of player I would also say that it's worth mentioning that he's 10 months younger than Ricardo Pepe. So he is a young 03. When Pepe was Cade Cowell's age, he had three goals in 26 MLS games. So Cade Cowell is not a finished product by any stretch. It'll only take, you know, like a little bit more consistency and comfort on the ball for him to become, you know, like a, 
eight figure player or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, he just would he would fit so well as a right as an elite right back. You know, oh, God, do you want to tell people like this ongoing argument that we have over? King no, it's Cal? like a it's like a bit in our group chat where I say he should be he should he should go to like go to right back and then he could play it like be a Champions League level right back because he I just don't I think the question is like, is he a good enough footballer to to like to be an attacking player for the national team? And like, and I think that's a question about Jordan Morris too. I think the Jordan Morris comp is really, really good. It's very similar. He's very, they're very similar players. Um, I think Cal is an even more dynamic athlete than Morris. Right. But so, so first of all, I, I don't like that you called this a bit because you were a hundred percent serious about Cade Cowell moving to right back. Right? I'm still kind of serious about it. You know, like, would you, I mean, would you yeah, like to move Jordan Morris to right back as well? Well, it's a little late for him, but you know, Cal's still young, as you just mentioned. <laughs> no, I mean, I like, Ugh. I like the, I like his, I like his ruthlessness in the box. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is, I think that's what, you, that's sort of where you stand too, right? Like he, he has an ability to just like score goals. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, it's what he's he done even, his entire career. And I, like, I'd argue that the, the worst that he's played what like in MLS has been when he was like one of those guys who's just kind of beholden to the sideline with with San Jose he really likes to just get the ball and run directly at the goal and you know he is so like how many chances is he going to get to do that in like a world cup qualifier or uh an important national team game it's like it's like the 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 circumstances have to be perfect for that kind of thing and I don't know, man. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I, I just want to say like all, all questions should go to my press officer on this, <laughs> but like, I'm not f- officially saying, I think he should be right, right back. I'm just saying it's a hey, Consider it, consider it everybody, you know? Okay. Is he, he's, he's not any more technical than um, Danny Alves, for instance, you know? Danny Alves was right back without any what shame. Are, what are you saying, Bells? I'm com- like I've completely lost the plot on this. Like you're saying that he's he's not good enough at soccer to be a right back, to be a, a right winger, but like he's also not as good as Danny Alves. So like, no, I'm just saying it, there's no shame in being a right back. You know, there's no, nothing, for sh- there's nothing wrong. I'm with not that. saying it's that like there's a- anything wrong with it. I'm saying that like he's a he's a forward. He's been a forward his whole career. And he's pretty good at it. And like, I just don't see he, he's not, he doesn't have like, it's not like he's lighting up like FB ref on the defensive numbers. That's, I, I don't know. I just kind of feel like yeah. you're, you're pigeonholing athletes into fullback positions. Maybe. Well, so here's what I've got on Cal. I think he, I feel like he's been streaky for San Jose. He's got five goals and five assists and is definitely a problem to deal with defensively. Um, but, it's all like we're talking about. It's all in. It's all in wide open. It's a lot of it is in wide open space, and um, so I don't know. Uh, he's a, obviously a lock for this U twenty roster, but how do you how do you fit him in as a forward? Is he going to be a winger? Is he going to be a nine? If he's a winger, then you got then you got to sit one of Aronson or Seeley or maybe even Caden Clark if he's unless he's playing as a midfielder. Yeah, I mean, I don't particularly care where he plays as long as he's on the field. I just think that, you know, we don't, we don't, this, it's a team that's kind of lacking in 
a player that's going to, you know, put defenders on their back foot with, you know, just pure pace, pure athleticism. And he's just one, he's one of those guys who for his age, um, and you know, he's going to be young for this team too, right? Compared to the other player, you know, I'm assuming that Brazil and Mexico are going to bring a roster of threes. Yeah. Yeah. As they, as they normally would. And, I assume that he, I I can't imagine that he's not going to be the most dynamic athlete on the field for any of the teams in the tournament. He's just like, you know, like one, a generational athlete who is able to control a soccer ball and you just don't get many of those. And I think when you do get one of those, uh, you put them on the, in the part of the field where they can make crazy stuff happen. And when those, that crazy stuff happens, it leads to goals. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Maceo Rodriguez, the Chicago Fire 03. Sure. So um, he signed a homegrown contract in October. He, he's he been pretty integral to the Fires. Uh, he was pretty integral to the Fires U19 MLS Next trophy that they lifted this past season. He won the golden boot there. I think a good comp for him is Jesus Ferreira. Um, hmm. he, he has kind of a similar style. He's a small kid who... Uh, likes to play in combination and connect play and is able to, you know, uh, come up with uh, breakaways from, from time to time to get his, uh, his stats up. But it's been my belief for a long time that Misael just wasn't athletic enough to be a youth national team player. He's a player that I've been watching for, you know, a relatively long time. And I still kind of have some of that, but he gives a different look to players like Sonongo and Cowell if we're looking to play the kind of soccer that you mandate we play. <laughs> that good soccer that, you know, he, he if you put I, him... My mandate? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, well, then I'm all for it, you know, as long as he fits my mandate. Right. You know? So, um, I mean, if, if you're, if you're, what I'm basically getting at is if you're attached to good soccer where the ball, you know, pinging the ball around... You're probably yeah. not going to get that from Sonongo or um, Cal. Or Cal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know I'm not going to get it from Cal. This is what we've been talking about for the last half hour. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so, so we kind of lack a true number nine, like a, a Peppy type. You know, it's funny that Peppy is suddenly the, like he is the standard. But he's been that for a while. He is like a sort of classic number nine. Yeah. Um, right. Definitely. And, you know. He Pepe himself is an O three. He could theoretically be in this team, so not super right. worried about the that we haven't been able to produce a, a number nine for this group or anything like that. Problem is that we produced a number nine that's too good for this group, right? So yeah, um, that's okay. Yeah, that's I'm okay with that. There are a, a couple of names behind this group who could potentially uh, factor in by the end of the cycle. Uh, Matt Rue is a college guy. Tyler Freeman, Patrick Waya are names that people may remember from previous youth national teams. Um, Roald Mitchell, a Red Bull kid who is on his way to college. And Christian Torres, who's an 04 for LAFC, who has had some chances in MLS and hasn't really looked the part as of yet. So hmm. um, what's up with Patrick Waya? Like, you know, he was a big deal at Minnesota United for a little while until he ran into Adrian Heath, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I was never 
particularly high on him to begin with. I think he he signed a homegrown contract, right? So he's hanging out somewhere in Minnesota, I guess. I didn't I don't recall him being loaned out, but I guess it's possible. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I don't think Patrick Way is going to be a main like a, a, con- a big contributor to this U20 team. Okay. And Tyler, what did you say about Tyler Freeman? Where is he now? He's still playing with uh, Sporting Kansas City, too. Okay. Um, you know, there's kind of a logjam at a couple of positions in Kansas City. Tyler Freeman is increasingly going to have to be a number nine. Like, you know, Tyler Freeman at the on the wing with the U-17s back in the day wasn't particularly enthralling. And I think as he's gotten older and bigger, it makes less sense for him to be out there. So. Okay. Well, he was always kind of an interesting player with the, uh, you know, pre-co in the pre-COVID youth tournaments, like kind of a kind of messy but inventive, you know. Right. Yeah. Messy with a Y, not an I. Right. So. Yeah. Right. So it's just the less good messy, but with a Y. All right. Let's go to the wingers. Speaking of messy with an I, um, Dante <laughs> Sealy. We've had a we've had some we've had sort of a running disagreement about Sealy over the years too. Like he had, he had a hat trick a couple weeks ago for Young PSV. I think he has f- five goals. And what's even more exciting about the way he's playing right now is he looks he looks clever and fast in combination. Also and also very physical in in duels. Um, I did not see that. I did not see the cleverness and the fastness and combination when I saw him play for the youth national teams or for, um, I guess he played for North Texas mostly and a little bit for FC Dallas. Yeah. I mean, he, he never looked particularly good at the professional level when, regardless of what team he was playing with in Dallas, my like bullishness on him being like a blue chip prospect was completely based off of his DA days because he looked like completely bored of Dallas by the time he got to the pro game, which, you know, like that's probably not a great thing, right? Yeah. But, why would you be bored playing, you know, for FC Dallas when you're like 17? I, I, I mean, I think part of it may be that by the time he was 17, he had already had like multiple trials with teams like PSV and PSG. And it was always going to be the case that he was going to one of those teams. Um, but okay. yeah, I mean, like, I'm totally, I'm totally with you that that's like not excusable if it was just that. Oh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to judge it, judge him for that. I mean, I'm like, whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Dante Sealy, the player, like complete wing, complete winger on his day, nose for, for the goal, ball secure, equally comfortable in combination play and progressing the ball himself on breaks and whatnot. Probably not a high end dribbler, but more than good enough to create space for himself. Um, like we alluded to with his days in Dallas, consistency is going to be the key. He can look like a completely different player from game to game. And, you know, he had a hat trick a couple of weeks ago with young PSV. I've watched one of his games since, you know, a little bit, a little bit invisible, still not huh. bad, but I think that he's in a good place, uh, with PSV and I fully expect him to eventually hit that first team. But um, when when do you think he's going to hit that first team? It's kind of weird, right? Because I don't know what the what the deal is, because he's technically on loan from Dallas. Right. And then the Dallas deals with PSV. So does did he get loaned? Like, is he on a double loan to, to young PSV? Right. Is he 
I'm I'm not just not sure how the specifics work, but I'm I would not either. Yeah, so I would say that he'll probably train with the first team in January, the PSV's first team that is, and um, we'll see from there. But it's a two-year loan. I can't imagine that he'd still be playing with young PSV this time next year. Well, hopefully he doesn't get bored. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I think I think you know if you know, Richie Ledesma was was sort of you know he was getting his shot with the first yeah. team when he got that uh, that knee injury. And yeah, that was after like a that's year a, of playing for Young PSV. Right, and I think that's that's kind of the trajectory that we're probably looking at. Sealy's numbers, you know, slightly skewed by a hat trick in one game, but kind of you know kind of above you know what Richie Ledesma was doing through his first couple months in in yeah the yeah. Netherlands. A little bit different role, but but yes, definitely. Um, right. Quinn Sullivan. Let's talk about him. He's at sure. Philadelphia. Yes. Can you tell us? Super talented kid. Uh, probably the only kid on this list to have a professional bicycle kick as for a goal. Um, was it? It was a totally legitimate bicycle kick goal. It like, was none of yeah. this scissor nonsense. It was full on bike. Bike. Um, Solid contact. Right. Yep. Right foot. His right foot is probably as good as anybody on this list. Um, the questions with Quinn Sullivan are positional and athletic. Um, he can dribble himself into corners, and uh, he's probably going to need to improve in combination play. But uh, and the uh, you know the athletic stuff is that he he's not like a bad athlete, but he's probably not going to be a winger long term because of the athletic question. And Philly doesn't really play with wingers anyways, um, so he's likely going to get pushed to play as. Uh, like a 10-8 or if Philly plays out of a diamond, like the the, the peak of that diamond. Um, and yeah. I think that he's he is a good, it's a great long-term prospect. Um, I am slightly worried about him disappearing in games that we don't control when we talk specifically about our U20 team because he is not a find-the-game player. He is a does some really nice things and shows up in places to finish stuff uh, type of player. Huh. Yeah, we need that elite mentality. We need people to seize the game. Yes. All right, Brian Gutierrez, Chicago Fire. Um, gotten He's gotten some, like, some real minutes in MLS, right? Yeah, he's gotten some real minutes. Um, he's basically played every attacking position for the Chicago Fire this year. Um, I think he picked up an injury that kept him out for a month or two so that's why his overall minute number isn't too high but whenever he's been on the field i think he's looked pretty good um i would expect that he's going to move inside long term but the lack of like winger depth depth in this u20 team means that i'm gonna take him as a winger here um he's got great vision and he reminds me a bit like a more athletic thomas roberts um for those of you who have seen thomas roberts uh who remember Thomas Roberts? He's just doing his thing in Europe, I think, right? Somewhere out there. He's out there somewhere. Yeah. I, I kind of lost track. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I love that Brian Gutierrez loves... Uh, I love that he plays both ways. He's one of those attacking players that is going to backtrack and try to win the ball, and there are too many attacking players playing in our youth ranks that can't be counted on to do that. 
So, um, are they watching the modern game or what? Right. I mean, this isn't the first time we've talked about the American player and off-ball accountability, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's one of those players that that kind of t- you know visibly takes pride in in doing that sort of stuff. So I, I I really like him as a player. Again, like there are a lot of these players who are going to kind of be you know like ten slash wingers, um, because that are, that are in this team because we kind of lack that eight slash ten, those eight slash ten guys in in this age group. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do one more. Who's on this roster? Diego Luna. Sure. Um, He's he's been lighting up the you know the highlight the highlight reels for El Paso. What's uh, what's your read on him? Yeah, yeah Diego Luna is an interesting one because he was a former uh, Quakes youth player. He was the guy responsible for many of Cade Cowell's DA goals, um, and he was one of those guys who was like kind of around the e- the edge of the U seventeen roster uh, in the last full U seventeen cycle. He moved to the Barca Academy on a scholarship and fell off my radar a little bit because he spent most of 2020 overweight and not playing defense. Uh, and I kind of wrote him off like that sort of, you know, like uh, lack of progression when you're 16 is usually kind of like a death sentence for a professional career. And he moves right. to El Paso and he he kind of got a, a little bit of stick for the shape that he was in in his El Paso like welcome photos and stuff like that. He did not <laughs> really? look Is that what happened? Yeah, he did not look like a professional soccer player. Um uh but he's looked in shape in El Paso this se- this season especially at the last few months and is I would say probably one of the more dangerous players on the ball in all of USL. So uh, like the big question mark surrounding him is going to be his ability to play high level soccer because he's definitely got like an untraditional build for a wide player. He's not not very tall, but v- like you know very very sturdy looking, you know, like big bones. Which is okay. Yeah, totally. Which is okay as long as you're not as long as you're quick. And yeah, and everything. he he's definitely is quick um, enough for USL, and we're just gonna have to see. Hopefully, he gets the chance. At least he gets the chance to see if he if it tracks up to to MLS because you know you could kind of draw a comparison in like play style to somebody like um, what's his name Jose Gallegos who yeah. you know just who's is, also quite sturdy yeah although no one would ever accuse him of being overweight I don't think right no for sure but yeah you know like and who's who's Jose Gallegos is still in USL so. Hopefully Diego Luna is able to to maybe parlay this U U twenty call up into uh, MLS interest, but I do think like the athletic things are going to be question marks, and you know, especially in his ability to defend uh, other players because he can sometimes be left in the dust in in USL defending you know higher higher caliber athletes. Okay. Well, just real quick, let's talk about two names that are not on the roster. Fede Oliva, um, who is in the Atletico Madrid Academy. What's uh, what should we know about him? Sure. So Fede is a is a 04. He wears the, the number ten shirt in one on one of uh, Atletico Madrid's many youth teams. Um, 
He's kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none winger. Reminds me a lot of Matteo Rotasio, uh, for those of you who recall seeing him play for uh, the Liverpool Liverpool youth teams a couple years ago. He's he, Fede's got a lot of talent, um, but he's definitely still baking. As an 4 I would I would say that he's going to be a guy that we hear more from later in the cycle. And then I'll okay. jump right to Edison Azcona, Azcona who is uh, a young 3 might have been the best American player at the Olympic qualifying tournament earlier this year, where he was playing for the Dominican Republic. Um, would be disappointed if he gets cap tied to the Dominican Republic because he does a, a decent Gio Reyna impression. You know, he's a like a taller winger who just does not give up the ball. You know, he, he's kind of like a, a good cage match guy playing for currently for Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale where um, I think he's he, one could say that he, he isn't playing at the level that he played in that Olympic qualifying tournament. But is I'm that true. What's up? Because he was really good. I was going to say, is that, as you said, is that true? Because he was really good in that tournament. Yeah, he was really good in that tournament. And um, I mean, there are definitely signs of that, like that, that is it in him for when he plays for Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, you know, I don't particularly mind a player that plays better for his national team than he does for his club. But uh, I, I imagine he'll get a shot with Inter Miami this offseason. Cool. Yeah, I, I was I was into him in that tournament as a player, obviously. Um, <laughs> right. Let's see. Let's talk about the midfielders. Caden Clark. I, you know, I had, we were talking just the other day, Waki and I, about how he, he and Cade, Cade Cal had lost steam over the summer. And then we had Cade Cal score that like incredible goal that we talked about earlier. And then Caden Clark uh, got his first, I think, significant appearance for Red Bulls. And he got an, like, an assist on the game-winning goal at the end of the game. And also looked very sharp, I thought, in watching his involvements in the game. Um, almost had another assist. So, like, let's fire back up the hype machine on Caden Clark, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I thought he looked great in that game. And I was in a similar place to, to you and Maki where I was starting to worry about um, Caden, not only because he hadn't been getting time with the Red Bulls, not getting time with, you know, the New York Red Bulls at whatever, you know, 17, 18, whatever he is, isn't the end of the world. But it is kind of not ideal when you're about to move to a Bundesliga team to all right. of a sudden not be playing uh, MLS minutes. But uh, yeah, like all it really took for me was one game to seeing him over this past weekend. Uh, he looked great. And I know it might be some of that like Dante Sealy stuff we were talking about earlier where, you know, he's just ready to go to Leipzig. So, you know, like, yeah, like I think maybe. I think it's just a player that we're going to have to wait and see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting loaned out to, you know, Salzburg or something like that. I also wouldn't be surprised if he gets, you know, 500, 600 minutes over the course of the spring. Yeah. In the Bundesliga. I mean, part of the reason he part of the reason he wasn't playing was because of because of the appendix surgery he had this summer. Yep, definitely. Um, but yeah, he's he's got a he's a, he's a good passer of the ball. He plays soccer the right way, Matt. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then and then okay, let's talk about so th that's I'm I'm excited about him. Let's talk about Paxton Aronson. He obviously is Brendan Aronson's little brother. 
and he scored a, a very nice goal, not this past weekend, but maybe the weekend before. Um, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Paxton's game. Um, he plays a whole lot like his older brother, and you can make a pretty good argument that Paxton is a better passer of the ball than his brother was when he was 18. But my favorite thing about Paxton, which is also a thing that Brendan does, is that they're just dual machines. And what I mean by that is that like, if you look at the game that Paxton played uh, over the weekend, he had like 14 or 15 duels and he, you know, granted he's not winning most of these. Brendan almost never does wins like 50% or anywhere near 50% of his duels either, but both they get into a lot of them. Exactly. Like significantly more than anybody else on the team. And that is, that is, you know, um, so important like just the pressure that duels that getting into that many duels puts on another team you know like i i'm kind of skeptical of the stat meaning anything in terms of success rates you know but the fact that that he's able to to throw himself into so many and put so many uh you know opposite opposition players under pressure is great um players that can do that and also be a plus player on the ball are just so hard to find so yeah yeah because like deciding what deciding who won a duel can be a little more tricky than than you might think you know yeah that that and also like if a play you know if a player doesn't get anywhere near a ball it doesn't count you know like a ball that he should have been that he could have contested it doesn't even count as a duel right so like if you care about dual winning percentages, you're almost hurting yourself by running as hard as the Aronson bros do. Right. So maybe we should just be looking at how many duels players get into. I've never really thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. He seems like, he seems like more of a, just a little bit more of a, a bad man than Brendan. Too. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely I like. see that. He he has some he has some real and I think Waki's touched on this before, but he has some USL moments where you know that are kind of like hoppy esque, where mm. he'll he'll sit a guy down and then just like stand over him and stuff like that. He nice. he just loves that part of the game. It seems, and he doesn't have Brendan's at least Brendan's uh, MLS tendency to every time he was one v one with a keeper to try not to score. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say it's still it's still maybe early days to say that he isn't cursed with the Brendan Aronson MLS shooting at the goalkeeper literally every time trade, but <laughs> right. we'll see. We love we love you we love both of you guys, Paxton and Brendan, just for the record. All right, Jack McGlynn, Paxton's teammate, uh also ran riot in that game against FC Cincinnati the other day. Um Big caveat there because they're so bad, but <laughs> right. I mean, Aronson McGlynn looked really good. Both of them did. Yeah, for sure. And Jack McGlynn, like you know, talked a little bit about how good uh, how good Quinn Sullivan's right foot is. Like you could you apply that same thing to Jack McGlynn's left because you know that left foot is creating like two or three chances a game by itself. Um, but the quite like the question mark with McGlynn is that he's just flat out like. He's just flat out unathletic, I would say, you know, like, and this is compared to other soccer players, not compared to like, right, me, right. right. So he plays very upright. Um, 
he almost kind of looks a little bit like like Keaton Parks running around because he's he, you know he just you know you, soccer players generally have some kind of gait that Keaton Parks doesn't because he's so tall and lanky and stuff like that and Jack McGlynn isn't as tall and lanky but he just kind of moves around the pitch in in this very weird way where he's not kind of prepared to to have those like twitch reactions that midfielders typically do um so he he probably needs two high energy midfielders to cover for him um in like this U20 team and most teams that he'll play in going forward unless he grows athleticism in the way that Paxton uh, Paxton Pomichol magically did back in like 2018 right or whatever but even if he doesn't do that having those two high energy midfielders to cover for him is probably worth it um because he he he's just so good with the ball at his feet it is kind of the Alex Mendez dilemma all over again huh interesting yeah, I notice. I notice. McGlynn loves to have a hit from twenty five yards, like <laughs> Mendez, like Mendez does. Yeah, yeah. He's had like I don't know four or five almost Galazzos in the past few weeks. Yeah, and that's a Mendez treat too, right? Like everybody loved those Mendez shots from distance that like skim the crossbar, but he like he never actually scored that many of those. Uh, well, yeah, save his Freiburg Galazzo. Yeah, the percentages are pretty low on those. Right. Even if you even if you hit it sweetly, but yeah, he's doing that. He loves he loves that. Like when there's a corner kick and then the ball gets headed out to the top of the box, he will take it first time. He will. Yeah. Glenn will. Um. And I, you know, I like that. Even if it's not a high percentage shot. All right, Moses Nyman. Uh, not on this roster. I I don't. I'm not sure why. Is he hurt right now? Yeah, I believe he's hurt. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure. I meant to check before before this, but I forgot. It's okay. Um, he's you know, Nyman's still a top prospect. I think he definitely would have been on this team if he were healthy. Um, if he is healthy, if he was, if, well, if he is healthy, if he isn't, what? What am I trying to say? <laughs> were he healthy? Were he, he healthy would be on this team? He would have. Well, this. he might. He might be healthy and still not on this team. Is the problem right? Like that's. I mean, I that wouldn't make very much sense to me. Um. Okay. So I hope that that isn't the case. Then again, I'm also like not entirely sure who's putting this roster together because we don't have a coach and I'm not sure that like Brian McBride particularly cares about watching youth soccer games. So maybe Tab Ramos has been putting this roster together and that's why he got fired at Houston. Maybe. I mean we forgot to talk at him at the top about the coaches thing, but that would be that would be okay. I'd be okay with taking Tab back. Would he want it back? I mean, what else is he gonna do right now? I don't know. Why not? That'd be cool. Because cause, uh, cause I think I feel like he's he doesn't get along with, with Burhalter or um, Stewart. That's, that's my impression. He's probably too decisive. For that. <laughs> Anyways, um, I think that... We better, what, we, better, we better get cooking here. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Um, I, I am definitely starting to get a little worried that Nyman is done growing because he, he, he is still a really small dude. Um, so if we're if we're gonna have a negative, you know, we've talked a lot about what no, Moses not Moses Nyman is good at. Um, so I, I'd throw that in there as the potential worry. Um, and I'm kind of bummed that Lasada seems to have chickened out of of playing him down the stretch. But it might just be that he has a recurring or injury that uh, is not easy to Google. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's he's had his 
he's he's still very young. He's had his problems with DC, and DC was for a while a decent MLS team. I don't, I, I think they're out of the, they have, they're very unlikely to make the playoffs right. now, right? Yeah. But um, you know, they had a chance to be a playoff team, and and he wasn't quite getting it done. Um, but that is that doesn't mean we give up on him. Yep. How about Ro- Rokas Pukstas? Pukstas. Yeah, so he he's the you he's currently playing in Croatia for high. I'm how do you how would you pronounce that? I would, I would say Heidek split. Heidek splits U 19s uh, He was previously with Sporting Kansas City in the pre-COVID days. Um, he was kind of like an undersized but Aronson brother-esque number ten in Kansas City. Yeah, but I mean he plays in Croatia. Who knows? like what he is these days. I haven't seen him playing well over a year, but he's one of those kids that was super highly rated by basically every uh, coach that he touched. So not, not surprised that he would be called into this roster. And I'm super excited to see what player he is because we, you know, I mentioned the lack of like eight tens on this roster. If there's anybody that's going to be that type of player, it's probably going to be him. Hmm. Yeah. I remember people being really excited about him too. Um, a wide range of people. Sure. Uh, Danny Leva. So he's go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, he, he was on that 2000, uh, I'm sorry, that, that U 17 team in the 2019 world cup that did not do well. Um, I think he was, he was probably part of the problem, uh, for that team, the uh, midfield that couldn't really get traction in games. Now he's now he's a Seattle Sounders first team player, sort of. He plays some first team minutes, but not a ton. What do you, what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you that he was kind of a problem in that 2019 U17 team, and the unfortunately, he's kind of a similar player to what he was two years ago. Um, the athletic, the lack of athletic ability might not be overcomeable. Um. Brian Schmetzer clearly prefers Josh Atencio in that midfield. And the Sounders almost always play a two-man midfield, and Leva's lack of ability to cover ground makes it a bad fit. So I'm kind of excited to see him on this roster and hope he looks good uh, in, you know, like whatever we end up playing, a 4-3-3 double pivot. I doubt we're going to play like a 4-4-2 or three at the back or anything like that. So we should get a look with... uh, two midfielders next to him and it's kind of like you know put up or shut up time for him if he's going to be a youth national team player i think he's probably going to need to show it in this camp yeah yeah it's like he's not he's not a final third cutting edge kind of player for sure and so he's got to be somebody who can shut the other team down and if he can't get there fast enough to do it even it doesn't matter how intelligent he is or how good he is at passing through a defense because i think he's pretty good at both of those things he's intelligent and he's he's a good passer of the ball but if he can't get there to win the ball then uh it kind of doesn't matter you know yep and i mean we have a lot of those guys right a lot of those like good at a couple things but not don't have the athletic ability it's why guys like a guy like Kellen Acosta is in the national team picture. And like, I, I just don't, I just don't see Danny Leva overcoming those shortcomings to the extent that he's a solution for 
the program going forward. But I'd I'd love to be wrong. I, I really love liked watching Danny Leva when he played soccer consistently. Yeah. I agree. I share your doubts and I hope I'm wrong. Um Danny Edelman. Yeah, so Edelman is plays mostly well, I guess entirely for Red Bull two. He doesn't have a homegrown deal yet. He's consistently, I think, the best player on that bad Red Bull two team. Um I think he's going to be a homegrown and a red Red Bull staple eventually. Probably not a men's national team ceiling here, but a, a guy who works really hard um, can play both in like an in eight and a six and uh, plays fast, which I appreciate. So maybe he's the solution at the six for this team. He could be. He could be. I mean, more so because like due to the lack of options, I think, but. Then Jeremy Jeremy Garay. Yeah, so this is another number six oh three number six. Um decent enough MLS prospect. Nothing that he does really stands out to me. Um he plays for Loudon uh primarily, okay. though he is uh a homegrown guy now as well. He's kind of afraid of using his left foot, very stop and start, can slow play down too much. Uh I I'd love to see him step up in what is a weak number six pool but i think he's destined for the el salvador national team where he already has two caps he has two caps with their u20s no with their full national team oh yeah hugo perez is but he's in this camp yeah because both of those caps were in friendlies so uh okay interesting all right um Zach Booth, Taylor Booth's younger brother. Right. Uh, so not in this camp because he's injured um, uh, at Leicester City. Was considered like the blue chip of the 04 midfield group a few years ago. But as I mentioned, he, he really hasn't been, he- been healthy for any period of time since moving to England last year. So this is kind of a wait and see type of deal. And another wait, wait and see type of deal, I think, is Leo Torres, who is, has been playing with the real monarchs if they're still called that i think so and they are yeah they're still called that yeah and uh i mean a ton of talent there but he still kind of looks like a child physically and um probably probably not deserving of a call about this moment but if things go right there he uh might factor into things later in the cycle kind of strange that he was loaned from san antonio to the real monarchs yeah i mean I I don't I definitely don't mind it um because San Antonio maybe not the best place for talented kids kids to be like they're trying to win games right um yeah. the Real Monarchs I mean if they're trying to win games they're not doing a very good job of it so I don't think which that's is what weird because 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 the Monarchs won USL what two years ago and now they're like a bottom feeder in their division yeah I mean. I don't follow that team close enough to tell you what the what's going on there, but I yeah I'm not I'm not asking for a explanation (laughs) of it. I just think it's like it kind of like that's a weird thing to have in a soccer league for a team to be like one year winning the championship and then two years later. For sure, but that sort of thing is super common in Europe, right? So like young PSV, young Ajax, and like BVB two stuff like that. Like those teams are regularly either like at the top or the bottom. Of their leagues, like yeah. you know, depending on the level of talent. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know, is he, are, is Young PSV at the top of their league right now? 
Um, they aren't. Maybe young PSV is a bad example, but young Ajax is one of those teams that oh, yeah, you know, yeah, swings yeah. back and forth. Um, you know, like Bayern got relegated like a season after not getting promoted from the three Liga because right, they were, right, you know, they're not allowed to or whatever. All right. Well, the two most exciting defenders, I think, are neither of them is there for this camp. And they're both left backs. I mean, they both project as left backs, I think, long term at the senior level. Um, one is Jonathan Gomez. He's been uh, playing very well for Louisville City all season. I th- has eight assists, I think. Still probably some questions about his ability to defend at a high level, but uh, those won't be answered until we see him playing at a higher level. Uh, for the U20s, he's a lock call-up, but he's going to be busy with the playoffs, the, the USL playoffs. So, And then there's, of course, the question about his national team preference, about which he has been quite coy. <laughs> Yep. I, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. I think that we're done watching Jonathan Gomez in USL. I think he's answered all of the questions that he needs to answer and that, you know, he the question now is just how how quickly can he work his way into Real Sociedad's plans? And uh, regardless of that, I think that he's he's the left back for this team. If he if if he'll have us. Right. <laughs> He's he told he was on Tactical Manager's YouTube show and said that he will be with the Real Sociedad B team at first this spring and they play in the Segunda division so second second tier not too bad. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Paredes Paredes has accomplished more than Gomez as a left back in domestic soccer, uh, getting real minutes for DC United. Um, unlike Nyman, he has, Paredes has been, uh, a, you know, a regular for them, um, until he got hurt a couple weeks ago. So him being hurt is going to keep him out of this camp. It appears. Yeah. And, and apparently that injury is a hip flexor, which is one of those that is tricky and could be a rather long time. So, we're just going to have to to you know backburner him for now but i think that if he's healthy he's a starter at like three positions for this team i love his i love his game the effort he puts in start him at left back start him on the wing on either wings you know he'll be he'll be great i think yeah yeah he's got a great spirit i think and of and uh, um you know great athleticism too i think that's that maybe is a little bit of the question with gomez is like is he a good enough athlete to to go toe-to-toe with a a champions league winger yeah i I think paredes probably can do that you know right yeah totally at least on an athletic level all right caleb wiley uh who's this guy (laughs) so he's uh the left back for um atlanta united too He's a big, strong SEC style, traditional defensive defense first fullback. A common presence on that Atlanta United two back line. I think that he's one of these guys, types of players that like that we've had in in U twenty teams in the past, and that are always useful. That like you can just plug and play, and I think that will be fine as long as you aren't asking him to be the guy, right? You just stick him at at left back. He'll offer some something going forward. He won't he won't be a problem defensively, and um, as long as you you know you're you aren't asking him to create anything, he'll be he'll be just fine. I really like his game. 
I I don't think he's ever going to be like. Yeah, I don't think his ceiling is tremendous just because he's not an attacking fullback. He's not really. If he's passing the ball, it's likely going to be like you know down the wing to his winger or or across. He's not gonna come in and combine or anything like that. But um, still, you know, a useful player. I fully expect him to 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 get minutes with Atlanta. To, he's next in line for that left back position after George Bellow leaves. You know what? Just listening to you talk there, it it persuaded me that Kate Cowell cannot be a right back. <laughs> he's he can't do it. He doesn't have the quality to be a good right back. I'm not sure what it was that I said that made you think that, but I'm well, happy. I was just you've... thinking about you know passing. You know, you know, I could see Cade Cowell passing the ball uh, down the line. I could see him crossing the ball, which is what I was thinking about. But like being a modern Serginio Des type fullback who is a playmaker. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at earlier. Like, what does like uh, uh, like? Of course, he's not as good as Danny. Like Danny Alves is as good a soccer player as any winger is in in the world like you know what i'm saying like you still need to be able to, to to do the stuff that you do as a winger as as a fullback the reason why you're playing fullback is because you're also a very good defensive player which Cade cowell has never shown so i uh i take it all back i take it all back i'm glad you've seen the Jake- light jacob green and now i just want to say Cade cowell is going to go on to have like a 15 year career at Bayern Munich at right back and I'm going to have to like it's totally possible yeah. man oh, man anyways Jacob Green uh, he plays both fullback spots um, for Loudon I like him most mostly on the left he he's more comfortable getting forward there although he, I think his lone USL goal was came from him playing on the right and cutting inside and f- shooting like a Serginho Dest type shot that fooled the goalie um very much an attacking fullback no matter what side he's going to play on plays almost entirely wing back in usl because uh, loudon plays three at the back um so not a lot of experience as a fullback i think that going into this camp you have to think of him as like the gomez light since we don't have gomez in the team okay Let's very quickly move on to right backs. Um, you want to Justin take Che? Justin Jay? Yeah, I, I thought, you know, there was a point earlier this year where I was like, well, we should bring him in to a national team camp um, based on how well he played for uh, Bayern Munich 2. And I was going by, like, Chris Richards looked pretty good for Bayern Munich 2 and then was immediately plugged in to Hoffenheim was, and was excellent. So clearly Justin Che, who I thought looked better for Bayern Munich too than than Richards did, so therefore Shea should be ready for the national team. <laughs> and I and I, you know, that uh that sort of equation didn't you know, didn't quite work out. Because I as I watched him for Dallas, like he he had some real speed bumps earlier this summer playing for Dallas. Like he like legit didn't look up to the speed of thought that was required. And um, that's not to say he's not, he's, he's probably the best, you know, one of the top three or four players on this roster still, but, but yeah, I, 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 I got a little ahead of myself on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I it, know, it, it can happen. Right. And I, I totally agree with what you said. I, I would also kind of say that having watched a couple of Dallas games recently, I still think the plan for most teams is kind of to attack Justin Che. He still has a lot of, 
play come down his, his side of the field and he still not doesn't look all that comfortable dealing with it all of the time but i it doesn't seem it seems it's like it doesn't seem so much like a matter of comfort as it is just a matter of like does he want to do it you know does he want to track that runner and uh right like, or not even just does he want to it's like is he it, does he recognize a danger fast enough? Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. I, I would say that that's the thing. And that has always been the thing with Jay is, you know, he he has a ton of talent on the ball. And we've talked about him like being moved to center back a lot um, just because that talent on the ball can sometimes lead him to ending up in places where he's not supposed to be and he he and he's never he, he he's never really looked like a positionally uh cognizant like he he's not a natural right back in the way that some of the other players in our team in, in, so, that have come through the youth teams have looked but another player who i would say like you know came up as a fullback we talked a lot about him potentially moving to center back because he just didn't have like fullback instincts is Joe Scally. Right. And Joe right, Scally right. is now apparently like one of the five best fullbacks in the Bundesliga statistically. So. Yeah. Yeah. A lot can change. Yes. A lot can change over the next three years for all these guys. I guess I do. It does seem like center back would be, would protect Shea from some of these like, these deficiencies a little bit more because he wouldn't have to like track the runner on the back, the back door runners and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, we'll say, I mean, we've always heard he's a, he's, he's a natural center back, right? Like that's the, that's the book on, on Shay. Yeah. I mean, when I've, with the Dallas people I've talked to, it sounded like that was very much the, that was very much always his like long term plan. And then it certainly seemed that way when he was with Bayern because he played there quite a bit. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Holiday, tell us about this guy. Yep. So Michael Holiday is a uh, Orlando City O three, uh, tall and quick, not unlike uh, Joe Scally, also a right back. Um, he runs a lot like Erling Holland, which is fun. I don't know how much Holiday tape you've watched, but kind of like a terrifying robot. Yeah, like this, like weirdly hunched arm swinging gate so keep that keep that in mind look out for that for me okay and then uh also have that he he looked like he was about to nail down a job in mls before having one bad game with orlando in august and he just like completely disappeared for the rest of the year Um, thanks oscar yes so who knows maybe he's injured uh he would be my second choice right back pretend you know even the the starter if che is starting at center back okay uh Devin Tanton. Yep. Is that his name? Yep. Yeah. Devin Tan. Uh he's Fulham's U23 right back, which is, you know, pretty impressive for an 04 uh to to not to not to nail that job down. Um I last saw him play when he was a U15 like 3 years ago, 3 4 years ago. So it's been a little while. He was in Spain for uh playing for Mallorca, I think it was, before he went to Fulham. And you're just like not going to find any of those games, but uh, 
Can you find the the full ME23 games? Uh, I so I've watched the highlight packages that get put up when like Fulham plays like Man City or teams that people care about. Right, you'll sometimes mm. find those. Um, and he's like almost never features in those. So you know right. maybe he's just doing his job well. Um, I mean like U U23 Premier League two like starter. At right back, I think he's even worn the captain's armband a time or two. Pretty impressive for an 04. Um, that is impressive, yeah. yeah. So uh, I assume that he'll be involved at some point uh, if he if he keeps up that trajectory. Okay, last right back is Caden Pierre. He's on, so Tanton's not on, no. he's not on this roster, but Pierre is. Yeah, um, exactly. And Pierre sets a really nice floor for the right back group. Um he put together a really nice second half of the USL season with Sporting Kansas City too. Uh, he uses his speed to play end line to end line. Probably the best one one v one defender in in this group. Um, shame that Sporting Kansas City has both Jalen Limsey and Cam uh, Duke at right back because the path is Duke playing right back now. Yeah, he's played right back a, a lot this season. I think like exclusively this season. Mm. Um. So it's going to kind of be hard for him to to get MLS minutes, but uh, kind of another, you know, end line, like fullback that's comfortable just going up and down the sideline, playing in crosses. He's not going to do any of like the Serginho Dest stuff, but um, definitely a good player. He's already playing professional soccer, and I bet he has... He ends up in MLS uh, sooner than later. Well, maybe Heiduck Split is looking for a right back. You know? Yeah, I think uh, I think Heiduck Split's one of those. It's one of those parts of the world where you just need you need that Croatian passporter. They just don't want you. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't know. All maybe right, I shouldn't assume that Caden Pierre doesn't have a Croatian passport, but I don't know. Center backs. Um, the one, the sort of top one we want to talk about is not going to, doesn't appear he's going to be in this camp. He's wanted by the U.S., but he's also uh, wanted by Mexico, and he's taken a lot of Mexico call-ups. It's Ant- Antonio Leon. Um, yeah. What do you think about him? So he's actually in a Mexico camp right now. Uh, Mexico has, is holding a pre-tournament uh, <sighs> uh, camp. So that's where he is. Um he was he's also on Mexico's provisional roster for the Revelations tournament, so he might be there. Um I would say that he's probably the best 04 center back by a good distance, and you can make a serious argument for him to be the most talented 2004 uh player with an American passport. He has all of the tools you want in a center back prospect. Maybe you'd want him to be a couple of inches taller, um, but and there are safer options defensively uh, for this particular team. But outside of Che, we don't really have anybody else in our pool that is going to that isn't going to worry me when the ball's at their feet. And Leone is just one of those capable center backs with, um, when they have when they're holding on to the and, ball. So and he was and he was called up for like every single U fifteen. Yeah, he's actually tied for our most capped U15 player of his cycle. But he's probably been in more Mexico camps than U.S. camps at this point. And, you know, that's kind of a prime example of why youth camps at every age are vital because we live in the age of 
dual national, you know, panic. Like we we need to these kids need to be seeing or you know hanging out with other top players in their age group for the national team. Um Antonio Leone when he was a U15 player, I had asked I had talked to somebody at LAFC about his if he was interested in playing for Mexico. And the answer was like, don't worry about it. He doesn't speak great Spanish. And now he probably speaks great Spanish, right? Mm. Or, you know, he has friends that speaks, he has friends in that team. Like if we were keeping, making him split time between those U S and Mexico camps, like who knows if the situation is what it is now, but uh, until it changes, I think we have to assume that Antonio Leone is a Mexico youth player. Yeah, anything can happen. Anything can yep. happen, but keep an eye on him. Uh, Casey Walls, I've been watching a little bit of his clips. Uh, 03 center back for the Austin Bold on loan from the Quakes, as we mentioned. Big kid, long hair, left-footed. <laughs> has, I, I, I notice he has a real presence on the field, you know, which you don't, you don't always notice that with a, with a young player in USL, but like he's, he, you, you, you notice him. Yeah. He's out there. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I'm sorry I hadn't touched on, uh, I hadn't written down enough players haircuts as we've been going through this roster. So (laughs) it's good that you, that you did that there. Um, yeah, I I completely agree. He, Oh, three center back on loan from the quakes. Good, good prospect, not a great player today, but the athletic traits are, are definitely there. I love he has a has a pretty good left foot. Definitely has the size, um, but he's just inconsistent with the ball at his feet. But I'd say that at eighteen, I would take inconsistent over not even trying to advance the ball, um, which is where most eighteen year old center backs are um, at this stage in their development. They're just you know if they don't have it by now, they're not trying. Um, so he he's going to make mistakes, and I think we're just going to have to live with that given our other options at center back. Yeah. Okay. Jalen Neal uh, is getting reps for Los Dos, LA Galaxy 2, at center back, starting every game. Uh, That's not a playoff USL team right now. Um, So it's not a high bar for him to get those minutes. And I feel like he's a little profligate in possession. But, you know, at least he's a professional center back. I guess that's what I'd say. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, he's still a prospect, right? Like the nicest thing you could say about him is that he's a professional center back that L.A. Galaxy 2 team tries to play good soccer and that leaves their center backs in positions where they have to make plays fairly frequently. And Neil is relatively good at it at the USL level still very much a work in progress it is going to worry me if he's starting against the brazil u7 u20s yeah yeah kobe henry who plays for orange city sc um looks like a better athlete than neil um bigger and a little faster but uh not quick of foot in like tight space you know so like a little bit seemed like he was pretty easy to get by in a 1v1 situation. But again, you know, young player and getting plenty of reps in USL. Yep, exactly. Young and getting reps. Um, big kid. Uh, definitely don't, not any worries about where, about what his position is. He definitely looks like, like, a, like what you 
think of a set of center backs looking like. Um, he definitely like almost and super raw, right? Like he he wasn't a starter for uh, Orange County for a lot of the year, and then when he was, he was playing in a three at the back formation where he didn't have a a, a ton of responsibility. Um. I'm I'm probably of all of the players on this list the the player I'm most excited to to watch because I haven't I just haven't watched a ton of Orange County uh this year so I'd be interested to see if he can show me something that I hadn't seen in the games that I had watched of him um and there's definitely some potential there uh he was a kid who was highly rated when he was in Orlando's youth system when Inter Miami joined the league, he moved to their uh, youth system, and I would assume that the reason why you, he would leave Inter Miami for Orange County is because he has some sort of European deal lined up. So again, you know, not nothing unusual here for seventeen-year-old center backs. Things are going to evolve pretty rapidly with this group. I think that he's one of those who things are gonna he's going to sink or swim in the next, you know, two years. And he's, yeah, the, the system chooses, choose either choose you up and spits you out or, and you're on, and pretty soon you're on TikTok making, taking pictures of yourself in, a, <laughs> in the, in the meat department of a, of a grocery store or, or you're, or you end up playing in champions league. You know, right. it's like, it's a, it's a tough world, man. Yep. All right. Last last center back, Brandon Craig. Yeah. Um. So not on the roster. Um. Uh, but he is the uh, one of the more highly rated kids in this group. Um. He's an O four, so there's still lots of time, and he and he's fit relatively new to the position. He played mostly at the six in USL last season after spending most of his life playing fullback. Um. He plays currently for Phillies U23s, which are super hard games to find. But since, you know, they don't, the actual U23 MLS League doesn't exist yet, but the word out of Philly is that they are happy with his progress. And um, I totally expect him to, to break into this team at some point. Okay. And let's not even, you know, let's not even talk about the goalkeepers that much. It's like Slanina's, Slanina's like a big prospect, right? Yeah. I mean, he's... Gagas Slanina is definitely the top prospect in the group. He should be starting, like, you know, every game that we actually care about winning. Um, and then we have Alex Borto behind him. Borto is the the uh, sometimes starting goalkeeper for the Fulham U23s, with where he play, will play with Devin Tan. Um, he is perhaps even the third, um, keeper on Fulham's entire roster. If you choose to read the roster, um, that way that like, if they have two senior team rosters and then he's the starter U 23s, that he may just be their third option. Um, but you know, who, who, who really knows with 16, 17 year old goalkeepers and then Jeff Dunswap is a Real Salt Lake kid who is most notable because, like, how many 16-year-olds do you know who have the name Jeff, right? Right. So. Jeff. It's like Doosnup, right? Yeah. Doosnap. Doosnup. Doosnup. All right. So who's your, uh, who's your 11? Give me your 11 against Brazil. I mean, you might as well be the coach. I mean, you know? right? Yeah, as of now. 
I mean, I, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but there might not be like 10 people in the world who knows more about this. <laughs> about this play. There are not 10. There are not 10 people in the world. Oh, that's so game. sad. Yeah. Anyways, um, I'm going to go with Slonina in it's, that. It's it's like it's both sad and glorious <laughs> at the same time. Right. Uh, so I'm going to go with Slonina in that. I'm going to go with um, what are what are my options because we're missing players. I'm going to go with Wiley at left back, Neil and uh, Walls at center back. Um, is Che on the roster? I should look at the roster. Yeah, I'll take so I'll take Che at right back. Yeah, he's on the roster. Okay, I'll take Che at right back. Uh, Leva. At the six, McGlynn and Clark as the eight tens, and then uh, Aronson and Seely on the wings with Cowell up top. Aren't you a little worried about that midfield? Oh, I'm super worried about that midfield. <laughs> but there's no like there's no construction of the midfield that makes me comfortable because, like you know, like what are you gonna do? Not play Jack McGlynn and like there's no six that is going to cover that is going to, you know, play a Tyler Adams level of defense. So then are you sacrificing our best, I think, passer of the ball in order to fit a slightly better defensive player on the field? I guess not a slightly better, but a better defensive player on the field. I don't know. I don't know if like maybe Rokas Puskas is insane, but I haven't seen him play in three years. So like, I don't, yeah, I've never seen him play ever. So I'm going to say, uh, like, take this for what it's worth, which is not much. <laughs> but I'm going to say Slanina at goalkeeper, uh, Shea at right back, Kobe Henry and Casey Walls as my center backs, Wiley, based on your recommendation, at left back. And I'm going to say Edelman as my six, and then give me Gutierrez and Clark as my eights, and then the same front line, Seeley, Cowell, and Aronson. Great, and then you know, bring McGlynn, bring McGlynn on for a for a banger in the second <laughs> half. If we need it, you know. Yeah, and I I think the expectations for this for this team should be that like if if you know the the three teams were playing, I would honestly be happy with three points because these kids have never played together. I think the midfield is super soft. I'm not sold on the center backs. I'm not even sold that the front line is going to is going to mesh together. We don't have a coach. They're going to get there like two days before the first game. Like, I just don't think that it's that we should, it should be viewed as a sky is falling situation if we just get blown out in this tournament. Yeah. I mean, it feels like getting blown out is the most likely scenario. Oh, for sure. Especially in that first game against Brazil. Yeah. I mean, but it's maybe Brazil's bringing like their U17 C team. Like, I don't, I don't know. Brazil is one of those countries that, like Germany, just has like ten youth teams playing all of the time. So, right. Well, let's hope. Let's hope they bring in their C team. Uh, I, that somehow doesn't give me a lot of comfort. But um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt, for doing this and going uh, nearly an hour and forty-five minutes with me. Uh, yeah, always a pleasure, Bells. It. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see ya.